this evening. We're going to be in the book of Joshua. <coughs> Excuse me. Joshua, we find ourselves in chapter 20. Uh, uh, Lord willing, we're going to do chapter 20 and 21. And it, when we look at Joshua, one of the things we want to we want to grasp is Joshua, the, the book divides into three parts. Uh, the first five chapters dealing, deal with entering into the land. That's the whole preparation, crossing the Jordan River, the, the uh, uh, being consecrated in the act of circumcision before their enemies, all that stuff that God did to prepare them to enter into the land. Then we have the conquest. That was all the battles that we read about. And now as we come to the, the third division, really uh, uh, last week we began it, it's the distribution of the land. It's the division of the land. It's God saying, here's the inheritance that I promise you. A land flowing with milk and honey. All the things that God said that they were going to experience, they had. They didn't have to build the houses. The houses were there. They didn't have plant fields. Fields were planted. They got to reap the harvest. God was... <clears throat> watching over and keeping them. And we also, as we went through the study, realized each one of them had more to do, right? Each one of the tribes, the Lord said, now you go and possess. Joshua broke all the military might of all of Canaan. But there were little strongholds in everybody's inheritance. There were still giants that had to be dealt with in everybody's inheritance. Everyone had that thing, something to face. And God promised them, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Now, for you and I, we have the same thing. Don't we already have an inheritance in Jesus Christ? The book of Ephesians tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing under the heavenlies. By the way, careful study of the Greek means every blessing means every blessing. Everything we need, we have in Christ Jesus already. But in the inheritance that we have, there are giants that we still face, aren't there? There's bouts like we've just been talking about uh, of illness, of, of struggling with cancer, maybe with finances, or maybe with the job. There are giants that we still have to face. But God's promise to them and God's promise to us is the same. Wherever you're willing to put the sole of your foot, I've already given you the victory. I'll drive out your enemies. I'll do the work. We struggle in the same way that they did. The scripture lays out for us in the book of Jeremiah, Cursed is every man who puts his hope in man. We have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency when facing our giants, just like they did, of saying, I'm tired of fighting and I'm tired of dealing with this, or... <clears throat> looking for an alternate route or an alternate plan to defeat the enemy rather than going before the Lord and fighting from victory and putting our feet where God's calling us to put our feet. But the book of Jeremiah goes on to say, blessed is the man who puts his hope in God because God's the one who brings the deliverance all the time. It's not a program, it's not a plan, it's the Lord. The Lord and our ability to put our faith and trust and hope in Him. So they had battles yet to fight, just like we do. They had their inheritance, just like we do. We have to be willing now to say, I'm going to walk, I'm going to put my feet where God's calling me, where the Lord is, is asking me to put my feet. And as we look at Joshua, 
You know, we've gone through and, and began to look at a broad picture of the Scripture. We went through Genesis, and we saw creation, and we saw the beginning of the nation of Israel, as God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, right? And told them that they were going to spend 400 years in bondage, but then the Lord was going to bring them to the land. And then we went to the book of Exodus, and what do we see? The, the culmination of the 400 years of bondage, right? And the Lord raising up for them a deliverer, Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they, they, they came to Kadesh Barnea the first time, ready to enter into the land, but they were not willing, right? Because of unbelief, <coughs> because they didn't trust that God would do what he said, they didn't go further. So then we come to the book of Numbers. What do we discover in Numbers? The wandering, in the time in the wilderness, wandering around, waiting for that generation to, to die so that the next generation would have their opportunity. And we come to Deuteronomy and we see Moses' final words to the children of Israel, encouraging them, you can do it, you're going to go into the land, but don't ever forget what else Moses said. Moses said in his fifth sermon, you're going to go into the land... And you're going to disobey, and God's going to throw you out. And they hadn't even stepped one foot in yet. Moses said, God's going to throw you out, and you're going to be dispersed among the nations. But God will bring you back. The Lord will bring you back into the nation. Then we come into Joshua, and we see that all occur, and they go into the land. But we shouldn't be surprised in a couple of chapters we're going to be looking at the book of Judges and 400 years of ups and downs because the children of Israel struggled with the concept of walking with the Lord and putting their trust in Him and not putting their trust in men. Now, if mankind, if we know anything from mankind, we know that he struggles with the concept of learning from history. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what did Paul tell us? All these things that happened before happened for our admonition. That means for our learning. To teach us to learn from those mistakes and to move forward. And the promise that we need to constantly hold on to as we go through is that God is going to keep his promise to Israel. The Lord said... I will bring you back into the land from the four corners of the earth. I will bring you all back. Has that happened yet? It's starting, but it hasn't happened yet. The fulfillment of that promise we'll see at the return of Jesus Christ and the setting up of his kingdom. And we'll see the full, in fact, the Isaiah, no, Amos goes on to tell us that the Lord is going to separate the rebels from the true of Israel. And he's going to usher them into his kingdom. And then we'll see the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. when He told Abraham, I give you the land for how long? Forever. It's yours. And your descendants after you. But if they disobey, I'm going to move them out. The land is still theirs, but they don't get to live there. But I'll bring them back. So keep that in mind as we go through and we see the distribution and we see the land being given and we see the provision that God's going to make that there's a big picture going on. There's a big plan of God moving and an opportunity for you and I to learn from their history. And hopefully we'll be able to do that. So when we look at chapter 20, we begin to look, in fact tonight we're going to look at two groups of cities. 
that God takes out of everyone's inheritance. Two groups of cities. One, city of refuge. There'll be six of those. And the city of residence. The city of residence are the cities for the tribe of Levi. Levi has no inheritance, right? So from every tribe, God's going to give a total of 48 cities. Of those 48 cities, six will be cities of refuge. They will also be cities of residence for the tribe of Levi. Why? What, what's the purpose of that? Understand the big picture again of God's word. In, in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob prophesied over his sons, Simeon and Levi. And he said, the hatred, the cruelty of Simeon and Levi is intense. I'm going to scatter them among the tribes. That's what Jacob said over his sons. So what do we see of Levi? He's scattered among the tribes. What about Simeon? Simeon doesn't have any borders. Simeon is placed in the midst of Judah. In the middle of Judah. His borders are Judah's borders. But listen. Don't lose sight of this. What was intended as a curse, God turned into a blessing. You ever seen that happen before? You ever seen that which was intended to be a curse or something that looks like it's going to be bad turn out for good? Seems like there's a verse about that somewhere in Romans, isn't there? Where the Lord said, For we know all things work together for good. Careful study of the Greek means all means all. So there, are there some things that don't work out for the good? All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So as we are walking in the will of the Lord, he's going he's gonna to make those things. He's going to bring those things around. He's going to make those things that were supposed to be a curse turn into a blessing. How's it turn into a blessing? The tribe of Levi is the tribe of the priests, right? Now the, the priesthood of God is scattered amongst all the people. And so all the people have the opportunity to see the, the example of the tribe of Levi, the, the godliness of the tribe of Levi, the teachings of the tribe of Levi as they teach the word to the people and they're scattered among the, the tribes. Simeon, who ends up being one of the smallest, weakest tribes, finds himself enveloped in Judah, which turns out to be one of the strongest. Protected on all sides, watched over. And when the tribes divide and the northern kingdom goes into captivity, where's Simeon? In the middle of Judah. That escapes captivity for another 150 years. So all those things that, that come upon the people, and they might think, oh yeah, you know, this is our lot. We're, we don't get no inheritance. But what was Levi's inheritance? What did the Lord say? I am your inheritance. What's our inheritance? Yeah, he is our inheritance. He's our portion. He is the prize. At the end, it's not the big house, not the fancy car. It's him. It's the person. It's Jesus Christ. So, as we look at the city of refuge, it says, The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. Now, we studied this in Numbers. That the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, understand... During this time in the world, across the world, the Lex Talionis ruled. The Lex Talionis is the law 
of retribution. The eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Who were the police? Oh, there are no police. Everybody was. Everybody, well, everybody's next of kin. Now, don't lose sight of this. The Goel was the kinsman redeemer, right? The Goel is also the avenger of blood. The Goel, the same one who would redeem someone who was deep in debt or needed help, also would be the avenger of blood should their family member be killed intentionally or unintentionally. There were no police. So the next nearest of kin took the responsibility of bringing justice to the family. How was that to be done? He would go find the guilty party, bring them before the city gates, bring the charges, uh, and then he would be, if found guilty of premeditated murder, put to death. Stone. It's, uh, It's done. No police, no prisons. If he was guilty of stealing or robbing, there were retribution that would be taken at the city gates by the elders of the city, and they would take care of that. But the Lord set up what was called the city of refuge. The city of refuge was not for the murderer. The city of refuge was for the man who went out with his friend to the woods and was cutting down a tree. And the handle of the axe got loosened and the head of the axe flew off and struck his, head, his friend in the head and killed him. Now the avenger of blood is coming. As soon as the family knows that he's been killed, the job of the avenger of blood is to go take retribution. Life for life. But it was unintentional. So what could he do? He went to a city of refuge. The design was... Of each of the city of refuges, there's six of them, they were each one, you could get to a city of refuge one day's journey wherever you were in Israel. No matter where you were, one day's journey could get you to a city of refuge. So that they would be able to, to arrive and come to that place. And then he would come to the city gates, the guilty party, and he would say, I killed uh, my friend, I killed my friend unintentionally, I seek refuge. And they would be given refuge in the city. And the avenger of blood would come and say, I'm looking for this person. And the trial would take place. And the trial finds that that one was not guilty of premeditated. He didn't desire to kill his brother. Then he was able to live in the city of refuge until the high priest died. And he was safe in the city of refuge. What we see in in God's design in that is there was a punishment for the one who killed his friend unintentionally. He left his place. And he had to live in the city of refuge. But when the high priest died, he was then set free to go back home. And whatever penalty he owed, whatever price was to be paid, it was considered paid in full. He went back to his life. And the avenger of blood was satisfied. When we study the word of God and we look at the book of Leviticus and we look through the book of Numbers, we look through the the five books of the law through the Pentateuch, we understand that God says the blood of those who are killed cries out to me from the ground. Right? When Cain killed Abel, isn't that what the Lord said? 
And he went on to say in the book of Leviticus, the blood for which no one pays a penalty for, it soils the land. It condemns the land. It, it makes the land rotten. And so God said, if man sheds man's blood by man, his blood should be shed. There was a price to be paid. There's something like, I don't even know. In, in Los Angeles, I want to say five unsolved murders a day. That's not how many murders a day. It's just how many don't. Nobody ever knows who did what, why, how. Nobody ever pays a price for it. And the Lord says that that isn't right. Now, the way God set it up was that the next of kin would, was the detective. He was the guy who would go out, find out what happened, and bring that person to justice. Bring that person before. And, and so that was the purpose of the cities of refuge being put together. Now, he goes on and says, Now, when he flees to one of those cities, in verse 4, and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, that they shall take him into the city as one of them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they will not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he will dwell in this city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and <clears throat> until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house, to the city from which he fled. Now, a couple of things that are important for you to grasp in this as, as the Lord lays out this system. One, God's painting a beautiful picture of who our refuge is. But beyond that, God is also laying out provision for this one. His house doesn't disappear. His land doesn't go away. None of that stuff just, just goes away or nobody comes and takes it. When he leaves the city of refuge, his house is still there. His land is still there. It's his place. He returns to his life. Now he goes on to tell us which are the cities. So they appointed Kadesh in the Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali. Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim. Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. That's still the same Golan we read about in the paper so often, the Golan Heights. Now as we look at these cities, there's a little bit of a story we can pull from the names. For example, Kadesh means righteousness, means righteousness. And that picture of Kadesh means that there's never, you're never accused again. When you go into the city of refuge, you find refuge, you do your trial, you, it's done, it's over. You're no longer going to be accused. There's no more accusation. Shechem means shoulder, shoulder, just like the shepherd who would shoulder that lamb, put him on his shoulders to protect the lamb. We see that picture of the city of refuge. <clears throat> Hebron means fellowship. Where when we go to the city of, of refuge, what happens? We enter into fellowship. The people bring you and make you one of them. One of them. Bezer means 
fortress or strong. And he becomes our fortress. He becomes our safety. Ultimately, all of these things pointing to a work that Jesus Christ does in the life of a believer when we go to our refuge. Where's our city of refuge? Jesus Christ. When we run to Jesus Christ, Kedish, does he make us righteous? Sure he does. When we run to Jesus Christ, does he shoulder us? Does he take care of us? Absolutely he does. Do we find fellowship with him? Sure we do. Is he our fortress, our strong tower, in whom we find safety? Remoth means the heights. We dwell in the heights in Jesus Christ as our city of refuge. Even though we come to Golan, the exile. For we are exiles and pilgrims, strangers in this world. But in Christ Jesus, we find our refuge. A city of refuge becomes a picture of what Jesus Christ does for each of us. There's several similarities and things that we want to see. But let's take a look at verse 8. Or I'm sorry, verse 9. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Okay, first thing we see about the cities of refuge, they were accessible. They were accessible. One day's journey from anywhere in Israel and there were people from each city that were hired to take care of the road and ensure that the roads into the city of refuge were always well maintained. Not only that, but from any road in Israel, if you walked down it long enough, you would come to a sign that pointed to the nearest city of refuge. That was what God required through Moses in the Pentateuch, through the law, (coughs) to provide for those to be able to seek refuge so we see that they're always accessible. Is, is Jesus different? Is Jesus accessible to anyone? Anyone to whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. It's accessible. The next thing we see is every city of the cities of refuge were available. They were open 24 hours. The gates never shut. The cities were never closed. There was never a time when you showed up at a city of refuge that you could not enter in. Same way with Jesus Christ. He's available at every hour of the day, right? At any opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Anyone can flee into him for refuge at any time. He's always available. He's always accessible for us. The next thing we see is that they were universal. Were the cities of refuge only for the Jews? No. They were for the sojourner that was traveling through the land. They were for the servants that were in the land. They were for whomever. There was one way for them to be saved, and that was to flee to the city of refuge. One way for all men traveling through the nation of Israel, just as Jesus Christ is the one way for all of us. The next thing we see is the cities of refuge were exceptional. Why? They were exceptional because they were the only way. Only way. If you committed murder and you didn't go to the city of refuge, the avenger of blood could take you and by blood, by man, man's blood could be shed. They could 
kill you where they found you. No trial, because you didn't flee to the city of refuge. You were responsible for taking that responsibility. What with the Lord? He's exceptional. There's no other way, no alternative. There's not some, I'll be good enough, or I'll go to a different city. I don't really see the importance of going to that city. No. You go one way through Jesus Christ, one way to the city of refuge. The last thing that we see is that each one of the cities of refuge were built around a relationship. A relationship. Not only a relationship with the people of the city of refuge who would welcome you in and give you a place. But there was a relationship with the high priest, right? At the death of the high priest, you were set free. What about, do we have a high priest? He ever die? He died once, but he never dying again, right? No, never die again. The, the relationship is, a, is a, an important relationship for us to grasp as we consider what we have in our high priest, Jesus Christ. And we want to see that picture a little bit better portrayed. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 6 and we'll take a look at it real quick. Beginning at about uh, verse 13, it says, So when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. So God... Determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability or the unchangeability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, two unchangeable things, God and the fact that it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest for how long? Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews lays out for us, Jesus Christ is our high priest And we have all, if we put our faith and trust in him, run to the city of refuge, to seek refuge in him. And we don't ever have to worry about anything because we have a high priest who sympathizes with us, who was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And so, as we look at that picture, we recognize, we understand the city of refuge that the Lord laid out for his people to explain to them how to find justice in their land without police, without prison, becomes a bigger picture. We focus in on what the Lord's doing and we see a picture of Jesus Christ as our city of refuge, the one to whom we must flee in order to be saved. Here's the one difference. For them, if they were guilty, it didn't matter. If they ran to the city of refuge and they were guilty of hating their brother, then they were put to death. 
The difference is, you and I run to Christ, we know we are guilty. But he still provides us that refuge, that forgiveness, that righteousness. We see that in those pictures of the city of refuge as we take a look. Now, as we continue on back in Joshua, in chapter 21, we're going to see the other 42 cities that God is going to lay out for the, the tribe of Levi. And again, we see in this, God turning curse into blessing. We see God taking that which was a dispersion and bringing it around. And now, the tribe of Levi, we didn't know at the time when Jacob cursed them for what they had done for their sister. Now we see that God has redeemed and provided an opportunity to lay out examples of what it is to follow him and teachers of the word spread out throughout the 12 tribes. And the heads of the father's houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh. Now Shiloh, at this time, until Jerusalem is captured at the time of David, Shiloh is the center of worship. So as we look, and they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites. And the children of Aaron, the priests, who were of the Levites, he had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Simeon, and from the tribe of Benjamin. And the rest of the children of the Kohathites had 10 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, and from the tribe of Asher, and from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. Now the children of Merari, according to their families, had twelve cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded the hand of Moses. Now as we go through this, I know we're reading a lot about land. I want you to consider something. How many chapters were devoted to creation? Two. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. How many chapters in Joshua has been devoted to the distribution of the land and the cities? A lot more. A lot more. We did five chapters last week, two chapters tonight, and we still have a couple more to go. And as we look at that, what does that tell us? It tells us that God is a relational God, that God cares about the land of his people. He cares about their borders. He cares about their cities. He cares about the things they have. What does that tell us? That God cares about Buell, Idaho. That God cares about Castleford. Don't smirk. That God cares about the the areas in which and around which his people dwell. He cares about them. He devoted more of his word 
to the cities and to the land and to the borders than he did to creation. Because the cities and the lands and the border mattered to his people. What matters to you? Does God care about what matters to you? Does it matter to him? I remember, I'll never forget when I was a young dad, my firstborn was little. He's playing Little League with a bunch of knuckleheads. I, couldn't, I could hardly stand to go to Little League, all the dumb drama that happens at Little League. They don't have that in Idaho, do they? It's probably just California. So they had all this drama around Little League, and, and I'm just irritated every time I go to a game. And my dad come to watch a game with me, and we're sitting down in the bleachers, and I'm, <clears throat> I start telling my dad about it. This is just endless drama. Let's just let the kids play baseball, but there's got to be all this dumb drama going on. And my dad says to me, well, have you prayed about it? Dad, it's baseball. I'm supposed to pray about baseball? There's God in the heavens making sure all the planets are flying where they're supposed to fly, taking care of all the stars, making the sun go up and go down and the earth rotate and, and you know, earthquakes and taking care of people in various places and all this stuff going on. I'm supposed to call and talk to God about baseball. Yeah, my dad said, do you care about it? Well, yeah, I care about it. What makes you think God doesn't? You and I, we sit here and read these cities, and there are several things that we'll discover. Uh, We don't care about them at all. We can't pronounce them. We don't know where they are. And when we come to 1 Chronicles, the names changed. So then they list the names, but over those Four, five, six, seven hundred years of history between now and then, the names of cities changed. They changed what they meant. They changed how they, how they spelled them. Somebody else decided, I'm going to call this city something else. <clears throat> and they list out the cities again, and they're different. And you know what? When we get to Chronicles and we read it, you're not going to care anymore about the cities than you do right now. So what's the purpose? The point is that God cares about what his people care about. He cares about what you care about. The struggles that are going on in, in your family, the struggles that are happening in your life, the issues that are important to you are important to the Lord because He is a relational God. He wants to commune with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And He knows, the Scripture says, how many hairs are on your head. Right? How many is on your head? Well, for Fritz, it's easy. He might have one up there. Sorry, brother. <clears throat> but the Lord knows all that stuff. And when we, come to, when we come to the book of Matthew, as we're going through the book of Matthew on Sunday morning, we, we're reading through the scripture and we see the Lord say, you know, don't, when you look at the lilies of the field, they never, they, they neither toil nor spin. But your Father in heaven takes care of them. And then the Lord says, and you are of more value than the lilies. He talks about the sparrows. He says, not one sparrow dies, falls out of heaven to the ground, but your Father knows it. And you are of much more value to him than the sparrows. So when you sit down at home and you're looking at your bills and you're thinking, how am I supposed to take care of you, you feel like you're all alone and you've got to come up with a plan. 
Don't fall into the trap that says, I'm going to put my trust in man or my own plan. But realize that God cares about what I'm facing. That God cares about the bills that are here. That God cares about my relationship between me and my wife. Or between a wife and her husband. Or between a mother and her children. He cares. He knows. He wants to be a part of your life. That's why, this is what he's showing us here. He was a part of their life. Because if you were one of the Kohathites, and you were saying, hey, what about us? We don't have a city yet. And God said, don't worry, I know where you're, here's your cities. And he begins laying out the cities and giving them their space and the places where they're going to get to live. Do you think it mattered to them? Yeah, it did. They're kicking up their heels, dancing for joy. Woohoo! I got a place. That tells us God's relational. And that's how he cares about you. That's how he cares about me. That's how he cares about the things we care about. Well, as we go on in verse 9, it says, So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah, and from the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities which are designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron and the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi. For the lot, or for this lot, was theirs first. So they gave them Kirjath Arba. Now, remember, Kirjath Arba, what was that? That was the city Caleb wanted, right? That had Anak, the father of the giants. And Caleb went and whooped it. That's known as Hebron today. You go to Israel with me, you're more than welcome to go to Hebron. It's kind of a cool place. That was a place where the giants were. Not a place like it, that's the place. And that is one of the cities that we know something else about, right? Kirjath Arba, it was a city of what? Refuge too, right? City of refuge and a city of residence. Why did God want the cities of refuge to be filled with the Levites? Why, when the avenger of blood was coming, did God want for the slayer of man to run to a city of refuge that would be filled with priests? Because God's intent was that the priests are going to understand how to rightly discern and judge what's going on because they're committed to the word because they're students of the word because they have the power of god around them in them dwelling in that place so god wanted them to be his righteous judges now it says uh, also in verse 12 but the fields of the city and its villages they gave to caleb the son of jephunneh as his possession now this is thus to the children of aaron the priests they gave hebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Libna, which is with its common land. Jeter with its common land. Eshtemoah with its common land. Holon with its common land. Debir with its common land. Ain with its common land. Juta with its common land. Beth Shemesh with its common land. Nine cities from those two tribes. And from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its common land, Geba with its common land, Anathoth with its common land, Alman with its common land, four cities. All the cities of the children of Aaron, the priests, were 13 cities and their common lands. Now, if we count all this, you're going to be about four times longer than creation. Keep that in mind. Verse 20, And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Kohath, Even they had the cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim, 
For they gave them Shechem. We remember Shechem, right? Shechem was one of the six cities of refuge, right? One of the six cities of refuge. Shechem, with its common land in the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge for the slayer. Gezer, with its common land. Gibzam, in its common land. Beth Haran, in its common land. Four cities. And from the tribe of Jan. Altika, in its common land. Gibbethon, in its common land. Agilon, in its common land. And Gathrimmon with its common land, four cities. And from the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh, and its common land. Gathrimmon and its common land, two cities. All the ten cities with their common lands were for the rest of the, of the families of the children of Kohath. Also, the children of Gershon, the Gershonites of the family of the Levites, from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan a Bash, uh, in Bashan, with its common land. Golan should remind us again, it's a city of refuge. One of the six of the 48 cities that they're given are cities of refuge. And you'll see each of the three families of the Levites are going to have cities of refuge. So they're each going to be represented in each of the cities. And from the tribe of Issachar, Kishion in the common land, Deberath in its common land, Jarmuth in its common land, En Ganim with its common land, the tribe of Asher, Mishel in its common land, Abdon in its common land, Hekaf in its common land, Rehob in its common land, four cities. And the tribe of Naphtali, Kedish and Gali in the common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Hamoth Dor in its common land, and Karlan in its common land, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their family, were 13 cities with their common lands. And to the families of the children of Merari, the the Merarites, that's a hard one to say, the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulun, Jachnium with its common land, Jarkarta and its common land, Dimnon and its common land, Nalala and its common land, four cities. From the tribe of Reuben, I just got to practice, Bezer with its common land, Jahaz with its common land, Kedemoth with its common land, Mephoth with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramoth, Gilead, and its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. Manaim, with its common land. Heshbon, with its common land. Jazer, with its common land. Four cities in all. So all the cities of the children of Merari, according to their families, and the rest of the families of the Levites, were by their lot, twelve cities. All the cities of the Levites, within the possession of the children of Israel, were forty-eight cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all the cities. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. Listen, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Why do we look at the Old Testament at all? Because it shows us over and over and over again, God keeps his promises. How does that help us? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. We study the Word of God. We see God keeps His promises. So when the Lord says in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, can we trust Him? Does He mean it? When the Lord says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, does He mean it? Is he going to keep his promise? And Matthew, when he said, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Does he mean it? 
The Lord keeps his promises. Everywhere they put the sole of their foot, they got. All the promises of the land, he gave them all what he said he would give them. The Levites got their 48 cities. Simeon got his land. The 12 tribes all got their chunk. Everybody got their peace. Everybody still had battles to fight. Everybody still had struggles. Everybody still had things to go through. But God kept his promise. He said, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I will give it to you. And then verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest all around. According to all that he had sworn their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Wherever they were willing to go, they got it. They weren't willing to go everywhere. But wherever they were willing to go, they got it. What does that mean for you and me? Wherever you're willing to go. Wherever, wherever you're willing to step out for the Lord in obedience to him. You fight from victory. The, the war is over. It's done. Jesus won. He declared from the cross, it is finished. Tetelestai, done, over. It is accomplished. It's done. There's nothing else. The book of Hebrews tells us that in the times past, the Lord would speak to his people through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son. And what did his son say? It's finished. It is done. I have accomplished what I was sent to accomplish. So we fight from victory. Wherever you put the sole of your foot, Wherever you're willing to to walk out, whatever giants you're willing to face, the Lord will give you the victory. He'll give you the victory (coughs) in those battles. And then in verse 45, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. All his promises he kept. Praise God. That means he's going to keep all the promises he gives to us. And all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word, to, to just delve a little bit deeper into the relational God who cares about the everyday things of his people. God, I pray for us and those things in our life that we thought or we think don't matter to God, that we would realize he wants to be a part of every aspect of our life. The borders of our land, the house that we live in, the place where we work, the town we're thinking of moving to. God, that we would realize and recognize and understand that you want to be a part of all of that. Because the most important thing in our minds ought to be I want to do what's going to glorify Jesus Christ. What I do, I want more important than the stuff I have or the ease of life or whether or not there are any more battles. I want to bring glory to Jesus' name. And so, God, that that just ought to be our prayer. (coughs) Where I go, I want to go where you're going. I want to be where you are. I want to cling to you. I want your people to be my people. I want to love who you love. 
I want to see my heart break for what breaks yours. All of those things, Lord God, we want to experience, we want to see, we want to have as a part of our life. Lord, we pray. Don't allow us to become dull of hearing, Father, but let us rather apply, learn, and make you so important in our life that every little detail that we don't think you care about, you know. Lord, I pray you would move among us in this time as we seek to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a word of worship. I invite you guys to hang out and worship with us. I don't know if we got any goodies. Any goodies? Yeah, we got goodies. So I'll see you guys around the table of the goodies.